prophecy update. We have two services on Sunday morning. The second service is actually the sermon. We're currently in our verse by verse study through the Word of God in First Peter, having completed James. And we began First Peter last week. Today we're going to look at the reasons as to why it is that we all suffer grief <laughs> when we go through those various kinds of fiery trials in our lives. There's a reason for it. And so that'll be second service live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time uh, for those of you online. And also for those of you on YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to our website at jdfarag.org for the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get started. I want to talk with you about why it just cannot be much longer before the rapture and the time of the end, and specifically the pre-tribulation rapture, the seven-year tribulation that will ensue, and the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation. And here's why. The prophecies in the Bible point to how it is that we can know just how close we are, so we're not caught off guard. So for us, it's not as a thief in the night. In the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13, and chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he emphasizes no less than two times that we're not to be ignorant or uninformed about the dead in Christ as it relates to the soon return of Christ at the rapture. In fact, that's what the whole letter, both letters are about, the rapture of the church. I know I quote these two verses in John's Gospel, John 13 verse 19, but I think it's apropos, and I think you'll see why here in a moment. Now this is Jesus speaking. And He says, I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am, the I am. Now He says the same thing in John 14, 29. He says, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Now, we uh, tend to see this in the context and frame it in the context of the unbeliever, who will see that which Jesus said would happen before it happens. And now we're seeing it begin to happen. And then they will believe that Jesus is the I Am. But what if I told you that this is for us as believers too? Here's how I get there. Okay, Jesus has told us what's going to happen before it happens. So when it happens, we will believe that we're at the end. We're already believers. And He already told us what was going to happen before it happens. And now it's beginning to happen. <laughs> Do you believe? 
not only are we told what's going to happen before it happens, so when it does happen we'll believe, but we're also told how soon. And this, <laughs> I heard it said, I hope I don't botch it, um, that Bible prophecy is not to scare us, it's to prepare us. Now I think it's both. And let me explain, because <laughs> the way you're looking at me, I better explain this. So you're going to have one of two responses to what I have to share with you today. Uh, one response will be that of being terrified at the things that are beginning to come to pass. And another response is that of being very excited about the things that are beginning to come to pass. You see where I'm going with this? So this is an indicator, really a litmus test of where you're at with the Lord. Because if this scares you, good. I would rather, and I've got to be careful, I always get blasted whenever I say this, but I would rather <laughs> scare you into heaven <laughs> than um, flatter you into hell. I'd rather scare the H-E double toothpicks out of you. Is that a better way to, to say it? Well, if this terrifies you and scares you, it should, because that's an indication that you're not right with the Lord, and as such ready for the return of the Lord. And it should bring you to that place where you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, while there's still time before it's too late. Now, conversely, if what I'm going to share today excites you, praise the Lord. It should, because it means only one thing. <laughs> we are so out of here. And not a day too soon. <laughs> yesterday would have been great. Well, actually not yesterday, because we had the rally, but... <laughs> this is what encourages the weary believer. Those of us who know the Lord, love the Lord, <laughs> who have long overstayed our welcome in this world, not our home. And we long for the Lord and His appearing. I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy about how he had finished the race and he had fought the good fight. And now what awaits him, he knew his days were numbered. It was just a matter of time, and he was right. And he said, I know what awaits me, a crown of righteousness. And then he says, not just for me, but for all of those who long for, ache for, yearn for His appearing. So God wants us to know. God doesn't want us to be ignorant or uninformed concerning the last days. He wants us to be ready and He wants us to know, and He wants us to be watching right up until the very last, at the time of the end. The signs 
of the end of the age. He wants us to know just how close we are, so much so that those signs will be such that the very last days will have to be shortened or no one will survive. I want to draw your attention to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning in verse 21. Jesus is speaking. Listen to this. He says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And then he says this, verse 22, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved or survive. But for the elect's sake, speaking of Israel during the time of the tribulation, those days will be shortened. They had to be. God had to put an end to this. Otherwise, no human being, no flesh would be able to survive. That's how bad it's going to be at the time of the end. Now here's a question. The question becomes one of whether or not the very survival of mankind is threatened by everything that is happening in the world. In other words, is that happening? And is that now a threat to the very survival and existence of mankind in the world that we're living in today? Well, the answer to this question is that one need look no further than the, the reality of this pre-tribulation world in which we now find ourselves living in today. And by that I mean the aforementioned prophecy from Jesus Himself concerning how bad it will be, actually describes how bad it already is. And that's what I want to talk about and expound on more specifically for the remainder of our time together today. So we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. I want to start by giving a shout out to those who sent me links to the reports on the unreported deaths due directly to the COVID injections. This is a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned how frustrated I was because you just couldn't find any credible data on just how many people were actually dying as a direct result of this injection. And so I was sent leaks, many of which I had already seen, and posts, and even search engines, many of which I already use. But what I found was still inconclusive because you have one source that has their chart showing how many millions, literally millions of people have died. And then you have another chart that has it way higher <laughs> than that. And both, by way of comparison to me, I believe are still conservatively low. Did you just hear what I said? <laughs> the reality of how many people are dying and will yet future die 
as a direct result of this. Now, the reason I'm starting this way is because all of a sudden now, there's been this seismic shift as it relates to the whole COVID narrative. Have you noticed this? <laughs> Lest one think that this is not all part of the satanic plan of sudden destruction, let me hasten to say that it's perfectly on schedule, exactly as God's Word says it will be. And it's evidenced by the sudden resignation of one Anthony Fauci, the stunning retracting and restructuring of the CDC and everything in between. Make no mistake about it. All of this has set in motion the intended end, the prophesied end, according to God's Word. This is exactly what we were told would happen. Now, please stay with me. This is the prophecy concerning the uniting of the entire world around one man. And he will be seen as a savior of the world, the man with the plan. Of course, I'm speaking of the Antichrist, who comes in the place of Christ. And this is where, how do I say this? I'll just say it. This is where Christians naively believe and are deceived. Because see, Satan comes as an angel of light. This man with the plan, come to save the day, to fight against tyranny and totalitarianism, freedom, peace, security. He's going to put an end to all of this and save the day. He's the Savior, and He'll be worshiped. That's what's happening. Again, bear with me. <laughs> this was all staged, planned. It was all scripted. And it was put in place, and everything according to God's sovereignty, who's allowing all of this to happen, to meet His prophesied end exactly as He said it would be. So you've got this threat now, and we need a Savior to come and save us from this tyranny, so that we can be free. And so here's the deception. The Antichrist will do the very thing to the people that they are deceived into thinking he's going to free them from. Totalitarianism, tyranny, control, one world government, one world economy, one world everything, religion. He's going to present himself as the Savior. And the deception is he's going to do the very thing that people believe he's going to save them from. 
That's how people are going to be deceived. And once the church is removed at the rapture, this man of wickedness will be revealed, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're told that he will deceive all those who are perishing. And here's what's sad. Many are already deceived and perishing, and by the millions. And according to prophecy in the book of Revelation, this is only the beginning. And to me, this is one of the main reasons that we can't go on much longer. It's already been set in motion. It's just a matter of time. We're already beginning to see the things that we're told are going to take place and be fulfilled in the seven-year tribulation, happening now prior to the seven-year tribulation. How close are we? We have to be close. I, I've likened Bible prophecy to, uh, by way of an illustration, uh, having a, a shelf life, uh, an expiration date. Uh, once something has been manufactured, and this, this has all been manufactured, it comes packaged with an expiration date. Because once it's been put in motion, it's just a matter of time now. Because if you really think about it, you try to fast forward even 10 years from now. We're going to talk more about this in a moment. And even rewind 10 years prior to now. I mean, it doesn't take as we jokingly say, a rocket scientist to figure out that, man, that's, look what's happened just in the last two years. And, and you want to fast forward 10 years? I don't think so. Not at this rate. The fact of the matter is, what I'll call pre-tribulation prophecies, are already in motion. And now it's just a matter of time. Add to this the engineered destruction of the earth, God's destruction, uh, God's creation. It's all under the banner of climate change. This is manufactured. This is engineered. This is pre-planned. Why? Because Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. This is God's creation. God, Satan wants to destroy it. Uh, we are creation, created in the image of God. That's why Satan wants to destroy us. So already in full swing is this engineered destruction of earth, God's creation, as it heads towards its prophetic end, and will ultimately be fulfilled in the seven-year tribulation. Revelation chapter 11. Let me begin reading in verse 16. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, and who was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, 
and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and, listen, should destroy those who destroy the earth. What? This is a prophecy in the book of Revelation that will be fulfilled in the seven year tribulation, the destruction of the earth. There will be those who will seek to and be met with a measure of success in destroying the earth, and God is going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Question, are they trying to destroy the earth? You better believe it. You better believe it. And that's the deception too. The very people that are saying, hey, we need to save the earth are the ones that are destroying the earth. The Antichrist, I, I will save you. I'm the Savior. But the Antichrist is not going to save you. He's going to destroy you. Not you. I, better not be you. You better not be here for that. Dane Wigington, I have mentioned him and referred to him on uh, several occasions in prior updates. He's of geoengineeringwatch.org. In fact, out front we have some materials available for you. Uh, everything is at no cost. Nothing we do here comes at a cost. It's just freely given. We're working on a way for online members to be able to access this information free of charge. We're trying to work uh, with our guys, our team, amazing team, and be able to do something online with the website. But um, in the meantime, go to geoengineeringwatch.org. Dane Wigington posted a new video on August 11th titled, Wildfires as a Weapon, U.S. Military Exposed. Let me just quote briefly from the transcript. And by the way, we have all the links uh, online on the web page. Forest fire as a military weapon. Final report, June 1970. I'm looking at some of you, you weren't even born yet. Whatever. <laughs> this formally classified U.S. military report provides in-depth detail on the methods the military uses, listen, to prepare vast swaths of forests for extremely intense wildfire incinerations. Even more disturbing about this report is the fact that it includes specific data that outlines the best engineered wildfire incineration timing for various regions in the U.S. and other nations that are thought to be U.S. allies. Top fire agency officials have repeatedly acknowledged the now unprecedented behavior of wildfires. Every year is worse than the last. It's burning differently. It's burning more aggressive than it has in years past. It's unprecedented. It's burning in every direction, all at the same time. Other cities and regions that are rated for their incineration potential in this report include Washington, D.C., Florida, New Mexico, New York, South Carolina, 
Texas, Utah, Minnesota, and in the formerly golden state of California, Los Angeles, and in my neck of the woods, Mount Shasta, California. Other countries rated for their incineration potentially include Greece, Turkey, France, and Spain, all of which are countries that have recently been hit with catastrophic wildfires. Hmm. Just a coincidence? You decide. That's well said. And suffice it to say that we would all do well to decide whether or not all of this is just a coincidence or the fulfilling of Bible prophecy. Here's the thing. If this is not just a coincidence, and it is the fulfilling of Bible prophecy, which, dare I say, is indisputable, indisputable, then we're out of time. It's just a matter of time. Now, please know that I in no way wish to fall prey to all the failed predictions, but it doesn't stand to reason that the end is decades away. I am keenly aware of those who this time of year, which we affectionately refer to as a high watch time, there are those who are getting very excited. And in all fairness, there is a compelling argument based on Bible prophecy that does place the rapture of the church within a matter of weeks, months, or at the latest within a few years. Even secular sources are now talking in terms of 2022-2023 to possibly 2029 and 2030 as being catastrophically earth-changing. This, by the way, is Agenda 2030. Consider this Daily Record article out of the UK from earlier this year titled, Terrifying 2022 Predictions Revealed, Including World War III, an Alien Invasion, and a New Virus Pandemic. Now this is a secular source. Quote, in it they present these dire predictions about a nuclear war, just a matter of time, an extreme climate event, just a matter of time, earthquakes, tsunamis, I'll add volcanic eruptions, water shortages, famines, <laughs> pestilences of locusts, political instability, hyperinflation, how about this one, asteroids, a new pandemic, and last but certainly not least, aliens, which are demons, by the way. Add to this a 2016 post by none other than the World Economic Forum. 2016, six years ago, four years before COVID. The World Economic Forum. 
eight predictions for the world in 2030. Hmm, how do they know? <laughs> because they're going to do it. You'll forgive me for the way I just said that. Let me try to say the same thing in a different way. In fact, I'll just quote Lenin, who said, quote, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it yourself. Oh. That's exactly what they're doing. Well, eight predictions. I, I would say, better said, um, eight plans that they have. And as I go through these, uh, they're going to sound very familiar, because they have come to the forefront as a result of the 2020 COVID plan. Number one, all products will have become services. This has been updated, and now it's you'll own nothing and be happy. Number two, there is a global price on carbon. Th these are their predictions from 2016. <laughs> their plan is to have a price on your carbon footprint. Can you say social credit score? Number three, U.S. dominance is over. We have a handful of global powers. Oh my goodness. That, that's exactly what we're told is going to happen at the time of the end. There's going to be 10 rulers. The world will be divided into 10 regions. This is Daniel's 10 toes and Revelation's 10 horns. And by the way, that, that previous article uh, out of the UK about terrifying predictions, every single one of them, without exception, is prophesied in the Bible. And by the way, it's already happening. Earthquakes and pestilences and locusts and oh my, <laughs> lions and tigers and bears too. Sorry, I have to insert some levity there. It gets worse. Number four, buckle up. This is interesting. Man, 2016, farewell hospital, hello homespital. Oh, now, now I get it. Everybody stays home and goes online. Number five, this is already happening now. We are eating much less meat. No, I'm not. <laughs> In fact, just because of that, <laughs> let them eat crickets and insects. You know, that's already, they're already doing that, right? Oh, it's uh, disguised. I, you know, re read the ingredients. Maybe don't read the ingredients. <laughs> They're already doing it. And this uh, Bill Gates guy, who we're going to talk about here in a moment, someone quotes him, but, uh, you know, he's got Beyond Burger and all. And these fast food restaurants are now, you know, they have, <laughs> no thank you, no thank you. This was all planned, see. Number six, today's Syrian refugees, 2030s CEOs, immigration. 
Number seven, this is interesting. The values, hang on to that word, the values that built the West will have been tested to breaking point. Oh, what values, pray tell? The Judeo-Christian values. When, when is this supposed to happen? By 2030. Okay. And then number eight, by, 20, by the 2030s, <laughs> we'll be ready to move humans toward the red planet. You go ahead. Bon voyage. I'm not going to any red planet. I'm going to be back here on this planet, because it's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, oh, by the way, prior to that, for 1,000 years, I'm going to be on this planet that you're trying to destroy. And this planet will be like it was before sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve were in the garden. I mean, I, I want to see that snake next to that child. That's what we're told is going to happen in the millennium. The, the animal kingdom in the kingdom age, that alone is going to be worth the price of admission right there. Can't wait. Well, one more, and this is a biggie. Of course, they're all biggies, but I hope you know what I'm trying to accomplish here. Um, I'm, tr I'm trying to present to you reasonable Bible prophecy that should bring you to the conclusion that Jesus what Jesus said would happen is happening now, already. Now the reason I say this is a biggie is because it is believed that this may go into effect December 13th of this year. And if it does, well, <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of myself. What, it, what are you talking about? Well, on March 10th, Yahoo News published this report about Biden signing an executive order that could bring the U.S. one step closer to a digital currency. Kindly allow me to quote, a U.S. digital currency could be on the horizon. The Biden administration is putting its support behind the research and development of a U.S. Central Bank Digital Currency, or CBDC. Now currently, cryptocurrency is decentralized. They want to centralize it, so it's under their control. Do you know why? Because Satan is not omnipresent. What do you mean? Satan cannot be everywhere at the same time. That's why I always get a kick. I've done it myself. I still catch myself doing it. Man, the devil's been attacking me. I'm like, the devil was attacking you? Oh, I'm not worthy. Because he cannot be in Saudi Arabia and Washington, D.C. I think, anyway, I shouldn't have probably used that example, but he, can't, he and Kaneohe at the same time. <laughs> 
He's not omnipresent. No, when you're attacked, if the devil's attacking you, man, you're pretty important. You're a very high value target. I, okay, you got the point. I won't uh, keep going with that. But he has to have everything centralized because he's not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. So he has to bring everything centrally and conveniently located where he can be and control it. So this will be a centralized banking, digital currency. <sighs> Still quoting. How you doing? You okay? As a hush draws over the crowd. <laughs> the potential here, quoting, is enormous. And it's very interesting, said David Yermak, a professor and the chair of the finance department at New York University. The U.S. would not be <laughs> the first country with a digital currency. China has introduced its own CBDC, with more than 140 million people having opened digital wallets, and many other countries have either rolled out or are developing digital currencies. Yermak said the move by the Biden administration pointed to what he believes, listen to this, is a certain inevitability of the broader move toward digital currencies. It's not a question of if, but when. Once the central banks start co-opting the technology, it's pretty much game over. Bill Gates famously said, boy, there's just no getting away from this guy. Quote, there will always be banking, but there will not always be banks, Yermak said. He goes on to say, if the cash is electronic, the government can just erase 2% of your money every year, Yermak said. I think this is going to become a necessity just because of the demographic changes in the world. Two years ago, everyone was ridiculing this, Yermak said. Now it's the hot thing to do. Really? Do you know what this means? This means that, forget erase 2%. If they can erase 2% of your money every year, they can re erase all of your money any day of the year. And that's what they're doing in China. Uh, they'll suspend your digital wallet so you cannot buy or sell. Wait, that sounds, wait. Revelation 13? You cannot buy or sell unless you have this mark. And they're going to have control and they can just turn it off because you're not in compliance. You've not had your 523rd booster shot. And you're still driving a gas car. Again, it's so ironic, and that's probably not the right word, but I think deceptive is better. Uh, 
you know, go green and electric. And do you, do you know, if it's really about the environment, electric cars do more damage to the environment than gas. Oh, I might as well. <laughs> Some of you cringe when I start off that way. But so I'm, I'm, this might be a future update. But when you talk about aliens, uh, it's uh, the cover up is artificial intelligence, not artificial intelligence, AI, it's demonic intelligence that Satan has given to man in exchange, by the way, for their soul. This is demonic intelligence. You think that man could have come up with blockchain technology? No, that's other world technology. And it came from Satan himself. How about the ability on the part of man to map the entire human genome. You think we figured that out? No. Satan knows the human genome. And he's the one that gave that intelligence to man. I'll take it one step further. I know some of you are looking at me like, wow, you really gone over the edge this time. Okay. Well, if you don't think that, you're going to think that after I say this. So these demons masquerading as aliens have told specific targeted individuals in exchange for their soul, and he's lied to them the same lie repackaged that he lied to Adam and Eve. You can be gods and live forever. And in so doing, Satan has deceived them into believing that the planet is going to be destroyed if you continue to use fossil fuels. I told you, you were going to think after I said that. They actually believe this. They actually believe that the earth is going to be destroyed if we continue to use fossil fuels. So Satan is deceiving them into believing that if they use these alternate, <laughs> it's just laughable. And this, by the way, is the whole plan of depopulation. This is the why behind the what, if I can say it like that. This was the whole eugenics movement with Bill Gates's father before they rebranded it and renamed it as Planned Parenthood. It was a depopulation agenda. You know, one of the reasons I keep bringing up Dane Wigington is because they are poisoning the skies to kill man and depopulate the earth because Satan has convinced them that man is the problem. Man is the cause. So we got to get rid of man. So Bill Gates does a TED talk in 2017. Many of you have seen it. I've quoted it more than once in previous updates. And he's got, you know, these 
numbers and stats and facts and figures up there on the screen. And he's talking about, hey, you know, uh, here, here's the, the carbon footprint and we need to get that down. And, and we can be effective in doing that with reproductive care abortions, sterilization vaccines. Oh man, that's another one. Ah. Nah, I'm good. No, I'm not good. There's no one good, but are you good? <laughs> we okay so far? Okay. One last thing. Can I? There. Okay. Um, we talk about the number of deaths as a direct result of this uh, injection, which I know we've talked about the whole DNA thing, and maybe that's, we've talked about it in the past, maybe that's another update date for another time. Uh, if we have time. <laughs> I'd be great if we had the rapture. I wouldn't have to do that update. But, um, you know, w w what's missed oftentimes is the sterilization that's caused from these injections. It is a sterilization of people so they cannot reproduce. That was the agenda all along to reduce the population of the earth, to get it down to, I mean, I have quotes in my archives. You've probably seen them as well from people like Henry Kissinger and uh, what's that, uh, Ted Turner at <laughs> uh, all. They'll say things like, you know, uh, there's too many people and they're using too much stuff. So let them eat insects. We need to depopulate the earth. Where do you think they got that from? They got it from Satan. Why do you think they got that from Satan? Because Satan seeks to steal, kill and destroy. He hates us. I, I don't know if you knew that or not. He hates your guts. But Jesus loves your guts. <laughs> and he loves my guts too. He hates you. Why? Because you were created in the image of God. He hates anything that has anything to do with God, and He wants to destroy it. That's why. Well, that's, uh, this is what I mean by you're either going to be excited about all this or terrified by all of this. I'll end the way we began and simply say, that we just cannot have that much longer. And this by virtue of the swiftness with which everything is happening. This is why we do these updates. It's for this purpose. This is why we end with the gospel and the ABCs of salvation, because we're at the end. There's no more time. This is the end of time. This is how it ends. And we're not talking decades. At the very most, we might be talking years. I doubt it. I think it would be safer to suggest that we're talking months and possibly even weeks. That's how close we are. And if you really think about it, everything that's happening right now, 
already has this unstoppable momentum. It's already happening. So wouldn't it stand to reason that what we're told would happen, and as we look around and we see it already happening, <laughs> and we were told it would happen before it happened, and you're looking at this thing going, it's happening. I just picture Jesus say, I told you, I told you so. Well, He wants us to know that when these things begin to come to pass, we're to look up and lift up our heads, because our redemption draws nigh. This is it. This is the end. Does this mean we don't have long-term plans? Not at all. Have plans, don't let them have you. Hold on loosely to everything. Hold on loosely to the things of this world. And let it go, man. <laughs> let it go. What is the gospel? I want to spend a little bit of time on the gospel, because the gospel isn't just for those who don't believe, it's for those who do believe. The good news. And yes, it is for the unbeliever to believe, but like with John 13 and John 14, it's also for the believer, because the gospel is a much needed reminder. Every time we partake of communion, it's a reminder. Remember, as often as you do this, remember me, what I did for you. Because we forget the power of the gospel as a believer. I'm already saved, so can I leave now? No, you cannot. We're going to block the doors. And Why? Because I need to be reminded that it is finished. There's nothing I do it's been done. So quit trying and start trusting. That's the gospel. Very simple. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. There's nothing you can do. It's finished. Rest in and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know what the worst thing I can do is, is get up here, as is my privilege to every week, stand behind this pulpit and start telling you, you need to pray more. You need to give more. You need to, by the way, for those of you online, we don't even receive an offering. Nothing wrong with that. We just don't do that. The only time we talk about money is when we're at a place in God's Word where God's Word talks about money. Even then, I tread very carefully because of, sadly, the abuses within Christendom over the years, when it comes to money. But the worst thing I can do is stand up here and say, do, 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 do. And you walk out here going, oh, I can't. That's right, you can't. And you don't have to, because it's already done. He did it for you, instead of you. And that's the good news, the gospel, for believers. And maybe you're here today or watching online. You needed to hear that, because the devil's got you on that, that treadmill in the rat race. I, I love how one said it. 
The thing about the rat race, even if you win, you're still a rat. I don't know, that just stuck with me. I don't know why. But isn't that true? It's this never-ending, unending, vicious cycle, unattainable. Why? What are you doing? Stop. It's already been done. It has? Yeah. Good news. It's finished. It is? Yeah. Nothing else? No. Are you sure? No. Well, what about all those other things? Well, that comes as a result. It becomes a get to, not a got to. I, I get to, not, not a got to. Man, I, I, I got to go to church more often. I got to pray more. I got to give more. <laughs> no, it's not a got to. And that's the good news, the gospel. Um, I heard uh, something, hang, hang in there with me. I hope I, I think this is the Holy Spirit. The word gospel in the New Testament Greek, in the original language, carries with it the idea of someone who brings good news back home from the battlefield that the victory's been won. Good news, the gospel. Oh, who, who, who won the victory? Jesus. The battle's already been won. Good news. Could you imagine being in that city, waiting to hear news from the battlefield? And then here, com here comes the runner. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who run to bring the good news. The victory's been won. That's what the gospel is. The ABCs, please, again, I know I probably say this every week, but don't turn this into a formula, because then you're doing the very thing I just got done yelling at you not to do. <laughs> this isn't something you have to do. It's already been done. It's not like, you know, if I don't insert tab A into slot B, I'm not really saved. No! This is just a, a tool to be equipped with. Should the Lord ever present you with the profound privilege of being able to share Jesus Christ with someone who desperately needs Jesus? This first one, the A, which means and stands for admit or acknowledge, is so important. In fact, it starts here and ends here. Because if you don't acknowledge that you're a sinner, you're not interested in a Savior. And the average person on the street, when you talk with them, they're going to tell you that they're a good person. And you have to tell them the bad news first, because the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news will be. Don't email me. I know that's not proper English. But see, you have to take them to the Word of God, which is a mirror, and shows them them, as God sees them, the perfect mirror of God's law, and show them that they've broken that law. And there is no one righteous, save one. Not even one, save one. 
His name is Jesus, who fulfilled the law that you broke. And by the way, even if you didn't break nine of the ten and only broke one, no go. You're still a lawbreaker. You've still broken the law. And this is Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark, which is what the word sin means, that archery term of missing the bullseye, falling short. We've all transgressed the law of God. Now, I'm in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah, you are. In fact, you have a court appearance. Oh, when's the court appearance? Uh, today. Today? I'm not ready. Now, you have to show up at court and enter your plea. What's your plea going to be? Guilty as charged. Now we have to enter the sentencing phase of your trial. And bad news, it's the death sentence. Because Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty bad news. Okay, you ready for some good news? I really am. The good news is, is that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now watch this. Gift, keyword, wages, keyword. Wages you earn, deserve. Gift you receive, you don't pay for it. If you pay for the gift, it's not a gift, it's a purchase. But it's a gift. Well, who purchased it? Jesus did. We are not our own, but purchased <laughs> with a price, and it cost Him everything. His life and His blood shed in our stead. And that's the good news. Jesus became a man, fully God, fully man. And He went to that cross and died for us in our place to purchase us. And then He offers every single one of us this gift of eternal life, there for the receiving. It's already been paid for. He already paid for it. Here's the gift. It's eternal life. All we have to do is receive it and believe. That's the B. And it's really as simple as believing in your heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You mean it's as simple as be? Yeah. The C is for call upon the name of the Lord. Again, not a formula, not a, you got to do this. No, this is what comes as a result of believing in your heart, the expression you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And this is what I mean by the gospel is for the saved and the unsaved alike. Because do you realize what the implications of this are? 
I'm justified. There's nothing I have to do. I'm already justified. I love that word justified, because it's one of those words that sounds like what it means, just if I'd never sinned. Oh man, that takes the weight off. Good, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's been paid for. You're justified. Though your sins be as scarlet, He's made them white as snow. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. Stop letting the enemy build an infrastructure of guilt and condemnation in your life, because that's what's going to keep you from the Lord. That's His whole strategy. Once you get saved, He shifts His strategy. Before you get saved, He wants to keep you from the Lord. And then you come to the Lord and get saved. Now He shifts His strategy to distance you from the Lord. And He knows the sin and the guilt and the condemnation will do it. That's why He goes on condemning you. And this need not be. All you have to do is get to the cross where that was all paid for. You're justified. Lastly, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He will in no wise cast out anyone who calls upon Him, believing in Him. Well, I want to close with today's But God testimony. It comes from Susan van der Schulp. I sure hope I'm pronouncing her name right. She lives in Holland and writes, Finally, it's my turn to write my But God testimony. <laughs> I've been listening to your updates since somewhere in 2020, when my husband and I were in the middle of quite some traumatic, stressful circumstances, together with our three young children. Every week the But God story strengthened my trust and left me curiously asking the Lord, I wonder how you're going to write our But God story. For over two years I waited and saw Him unfold it, and I sense that now is the time to share it. When COVID entered the world, we were serving in a Dutch organization that works in the Netherlands as well as in the Middle East. My husband and I met and served in Israel till 2009. And after our return to the Netherlands, we went through some troublesome years in areas of jobs and homes, years that were made joyous because we received a son and two daughters from heaven. So when in 2017 we were chosen to be the new site managers of the conference center of this organization, we felt blessed to serve the Lord, the people of Israel and the Dutch in this special way. We moved with our family to the site and hoped to be able to raise our kids there. Then the leadership at the club was replaced, and sometime after that COVID came. In June 2020, the organization told us that because of financial consequences from the lockdown and restrictions, they had to let us go, destroy the lives, the livelihood of people destroyed. A very painful process started, and when we ended up without jobs and without a home, since I was a teenager, about 30 years ago now, my favorite song was, Jesus, lover of my soul. 
singing, though my world may fall, I'll never let go. Every time thanking God, my world had not fallen apart. So the evening after we heard the devastating news that we were about to lose our life as it was, I said, Lord, this is it. It is happening. My world is falling, but I will never let you go. Again and again I sang the song while te tears were falling down my face. Humanly speaking, it was very hard to find new jobs and impossible to find a home for five. As I weakly listened to your proper kids to ask for what they longed for, trusting God that He would give each one of us what we needed. They all prayed for a new home and a quiet place. I prayed for a house where they can go to school and see friends without me being their taxi driver. Impossible in Holland to have both. September 2020, some friends offered to ask their prayer group to pray for us. They only told them our first names and that we were in very difficult circumstances. God spoke encouraging words to them, which were clearly from Him, and told us that He knew how hard it all was, and that He would take care of us. Maybe that's a word for somebody. Yes, I will never let you go, but God will never let you go. He will always take care of you. Fast forward. My husband and I found new jobs. He loved his, and I didn't like mine, but felt it was good to accept it. Just in time, before we had to leave our home, God provided a house we could rent for one year. I wondered why He didn't provide a home for the long term, but trusted He had a reason. We received it with a thankful heart, and we're glad the kids didn't need to switch schools. At the end of 2021, we started searching for the next house. I am part of a WhatsApp group with over 100 Dutch women that are loving the Lord and supporting each other. Most of us have never met. I shared our prayer request for a house, and a lady responded, We recently moved and are looking for neighbors that love the Lord, <laughs> and are awake about what is going on in the world. We were hesitant at first, because the village where she lives was quite far from where we live, but God in His wisdom, peacefully brought us to this village anyway. We see the world around us becoming harsher, and are preparing in every way for tough times. But we are living in a cute house, in a street where it is safe, in matters of being unvaxxed and stuff. It's close to a better school than the one the kids left, close to school friends and shops, close to fields to go for a walk, and farmers equal food, <laughs> and close to the water, which we prayed for. The woman that was searching for new neighbors is a good friend now, and our families are spending time together and sharing faith and life. My husband loves his job as a caregiver, and God surprised me this past June with a job that is very close to our home, and a more relaxed, but more of a challenge than I've had in over 15 years. Does he know what is ahead? And what we need? I've never been more certain of the answer to that question. I look forward to meeting my fellow church members, that's you, and pastor, that's me, when we go up. But I guess we will be busy worshiping our Lord and Savior. Be blessed to be a blessing, Susan. Praise the Lord. Capone, come on up.
Why don't you go ahead and stand up. Thank you so much for your patience. I know I went a little bit over. I never do that, right? <laughs> like every week. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we know we're close. That's really not the question. The question isn't, are we close? We already have that answer. Yes, we are. The question is, are we ready? Do we believe how close we are? That's the question. And Lord Jesus, You are the answer. And I pray for anyone who is unsure, maybe has stuck in there and listened to this whole <laughs> video, an update. And there's a sanctified unsettling, and even a reverent fear now. And Lord, I pray that that will be the catalyst to bring them to You today, that today would be the day of their salvation. And for those of us, <laughs> many of whom are just barely hanging on and can relate to a but God testimony like this, concerning the livelihood and housing and schools and finances. And Lord, I pray that there would just be an encouraging and a strengthening. Lord, You said, it, it, if any of us are weary and heavy laden, that we could come to You and that You would give us rest, because Your burden is light and Your yoke is easy. Lord, we want to enter into that rest and trust in You and the finished work on the cross. You did it all. You paid it all. Lord, thank You. We love You so much. In Jesus' name, Amen. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to
God be with you.